0: Hello, and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And today we've seen the so-called sneak peek of Glass Onion, and Knives Out mystery. It's uh, a Netflix film now. The first mm. one wasn't, but they've bought two sequels to Knives Out from 2019 for $469 million. And they're giving us a week or so I think to see it in cinemas. Same thing's happening in the states before it goes on to Netflix's Netflix's mm. service itself in December. Mm. Um, we liked the first one, and we were keen to see more of them. Mm. So it's nice to know that this one here, we're getting at least one more after this. I would say first of all, spoilers are obviously going to come up, right? This is a murder mystery, who done it, detective? You know, we're going to spoil the whole thing. So if you haven't seen it, do see it first. Mm. I really liked it. I Um, didn't. Really, Mm. were there things you liked? What what, what didn't you like?
1: I thought it wasn't sexy or glamorous or poppy enough. I'm thinking, you know, there were moments where I really kind of liked Ed Norton, but then he grew tiresome. I thought Daniel Craig, you know, he's kind of charming, but not enough. I think the thing that I liked best was the brief appearances of people like Ethan Hawke. And Serena Williams and people like that. They pepped up the thing. I didn't think the mystery was was in any way clever. Um, I did like the repetition. You know, the way that you see something and then it kind of... You see it twice you see and it. you see more information the second That's time. That's right. I did like that element. Though that is
0: a trope of this kind of film, yeah. So it's interesting. It definitely is a trope of this kind of film. But the overall structure, the way it works it in, I don't think is... And I think there's, it, it, it's not the film I expected. See, what I think you expect from a film like this, and what the first Knives Out did, is something happens, the detective shows up, or maybe for some reason he's already there, um, and he gets to work figuring it out. And other things continue to happen, you know, as people try and cover up their crimes or work things out, whatever it might be. But ultimately, then you get to the final, you know, scene where it's all explained and so on. What this does, this is much more, much more of a conventional sort of. It 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 has a structure that's not quite whodunity. I think because what's going on in this film, and this is big spoiler stuff, is the Benoit Blanc character, the detective. Is there on purpose. It's not that he's, you know, it starts off with he's been invited to this place, but he wasn't sent an invitation by Ed Norton, who has sent all these invitations. So, what is he doing there? Someone must have done this. What's revealed when we get into, you know, going back and seeing everything a second time is he knew about this. He engineered this invitation for himself with the Janelle Monet character's sister. So, he's inveigled himself into this, onto this island where everything's happening. I think it's, it's, it's just not what I expect, right? You, you don't expect the detective to be an active participant in that way, the way he is here. So, it, But essentially, I'm going, the, the mystery, I would like to have been more involved in the mystery because a, a huge part of the joy of these films
1: mm.
0: is that you play along. And it's quite hard to do that when so much additional information and context is being given by this extended flashback that shows you everything they planned. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, you know, while that kind of joy was essentially taken away from me and it's a joy that I expected to have. I I really liked what it was replacing it with. I liked the way it was telling the story. It's just not a conventional murder mystery whodunits.
1: I really disliked it. Uh, and I think I really disliked it because I disliked all of the people in it. Right? The I characters
0: s- or the actors?
1: The actors. Uh, sorry, the characters. Right, right. No, I love the actors and I love seeing Kate Hudson and she gives... You know, a very flamboyant and appealing performance. Though I think she is photographed quite cruelly at the end. And I don't think, like, you know, if she'd been more vain, she wouldn't have put up with it, really. Um, but I just dislike all these people. I think, you know, why are we watching these people? They're all disgusting. They're all hateful. They're all craven. They're all cowardly. Right? Kind of the film doesn't uh, give you any investment in them.
0: Well, the film is deeply critical of them. I mean, it's not like the film likes them. I think.
1: Well, I think the film tries to get you with them at the end, right? When they all start throwing that glass, and you think by then it's all too late. You're all horrible people. Fuck off.
0: That's interesting. I see. I didn't feel that way. I can see why you would think why you would feel that way. I, I didn't take that as a, as the film trying to get me to like these characters. It was about the fact that um, she had got them to turn on Ed Norton.
1: The heroine of this film sets the Mona Lisa on fire. I knew you wouldn't like that. I mean, that is just disgusting. It's, I think it's inexcusable. I think it's, it's, it's representative of the film's lack of morality and ethics. <laughs> it's all kind of cheap effects, you know, that you think it's all right to kind of, you know, burn one of the, the few existing kind of Leonardo da Vinci paintings, one of the treasures of humankind. You're like the fucking Taliban, if you think that that's appropriate.
0: I didn't mind it. It's just a film.
1: No, but the, what it's representing is not just a film. It's it's kind of representing uh, a situation where it's okay to burn the Mona Lisa for you to get your own personal revenge on somebody, which to me is absolutely unacceptable.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I... I, I... There's no argument against that point of view if that's how strongly feel. And I don't, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that to sound,
1: you know, just like dismissive. It just, I just didn't mind it. Well, well, A, I did. Yeah. And I thought it was typical of what the film puts in play. You know, because even, even the Agatha Christie, you know, uh, all star films, which in their own way are quite superficial, they nonetheless kind of use archetypes. You know they do have a sense of right and wrong. I mean all these films are about right and wrong mm-hmm. you know you you can't have a who done it or a mystery or murder without having a sense of you know right and wrong so actually, if you have everybody in the cast who's basically a craven crook mm. right, then who cares about any of them? who cares about the situation I didn't and then and You know, and I thought that some of the things that it dealt with were really quite upsetting. I mean, I think this is a very amoral film. Really? I do. Amoral? Yes. I mean, to be amoral, I'm not saying that you support Hitler Mm. or something, but actually I just think the film has no sense of what's right and wrong. If you think it's all right to kind of burn the Mona Lisa to get a personal revenge on somebody, then you need your moral compass checked out. (laughs) It becomes her only recourse. Well, we don't know that, you know. Uh, The film could have found another way, because it's not just her, it's not just the character's response, it's the film's. I mean, certainly all the filmmakers could have found another way. They could have saved the the Mona Lisa and gotten revenge. Yeah. This is a film that doesn't care if the Mona Lisa burns. I
0: did find it a bit disappointing that the film ends up going with the, you know, giant explosion at the end, because that's very... Well, it's not something that you see in these kind of films. You know, they're settled with the explanation of what happened, but this is something that happens after that, I guess, because after the explanation and the reveal of, of who the wrongdoer is, um, he still appears to be winning, because he's able to burn that napkin that's in evidence. Um, and the, and the film had set up this thing about this, this super fuel that if it gets... Into the air, it blows things up very quickly, mm-hmm. like the Hindenburg. So, like you don't—it's like it's Chekhov's super fuel, right? You mm-hmm. don't say that and then not do it at the end of the film. Um, but I did—I th- did find it a little disappointing that it that it goes down that route. And I did find it kind of incongruous with the Benoit Blanc character, like he's not a long-standing character like Poirot, but he's a character who we know from the first film, and we know from this film, and that he is—you know—sat by the pool. Um, smoking a cigar, watching the fireworks that he has helped to set up knowingly. He's given, you know, that little chunk of hydrogen to, um, to the Jean Monnet character to allow her to do this. That he does that uh, doesn't quite
1: fit. It doesn't fit with the character at all because, no. like her cool Poirot, you know, Benoit Blanc is meant to stand in for a kind of elegant, slightly nostalgic civilization. Yeah, he's a civilized man. His whole way of Mm. speaking. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic that the film, one of the film's clues is all about, you know, knowledge of words and pronunciation, yeah, and Mm. use of terms, right? And yet, it doesn't mind burning away like, because it's not just the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is the centerpiece, right? But one of the things about this place, this onion dome that this billionaire has, is it's full of art treasures, right? It's kind of, it's full of Mido paintings and, you know, kind of, I mean, I forget what else, but the whole place is full of art, mm. right? Including Liberace's, you know, piano. <laughs> and yeah, so it's a film that's full of treasures, right? And it doesn't mind just exploding them all to hell. You know, mm. which is, which is to me, barbarism. It's like contrary to civilization. If you don't care about, the, you know, those things, kind of, you're a barbarian. Yeah. And this is like a, bar, you know, this is a film made by barbarians. <laughs> it is. I, I, I really think so. Okay. You know, so that's why I think, you know, uh, you could have made th- all of those characters both craven and selfish or maybe pressed into a situation and understandable and appealing and yeah, and so mm. on. And actually, all the, you know, the majority of what you saw was their kind of moral ugliness, their cravenness. You know, you saw very little that was appealing in any of them. I mean, I think actually, aside from the Kate Hudson character, who's got that flamboyance mm. and theatricality and so on, you know, which is a, all the only redeeming thing she's got because she's equally craven. But at least you see that. Whereas, you know, what do you see in the politician, right? Yeah, or or the assistant, or, the, uh, like... Hmm. Well, I, I must say, I never go into
0: these films um, expecting to like anyone. I mean, I, I kind of... I think one of the things is that it also has to be believable that all of these people um, have a motive for murder. And they also tend to take place around kind of high society elites, that kind of thing. I tend to go into these things going, I'm not going to like any of these people, but that's not really why I'm here. I'm not interested in liking them. Well, you tend to find, like, a maid or something that's, you know, who's got a story, who... Um, might be quite endearing, but certainly not the, the, the big players. And this is all big players.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm a fan of these films. I've seen them all, you know, and they all have much more appealing qualities. And, um, you know, so, so they're, they're both superficial. I mean, you know, they're, they're not people. They're really types that you see on screen, mm. right? But they're brought to life by actors. That's why you cast stars because mm. they bring a history to them. And 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 they're they're often given both very appealing characteristics and also a motive for murder. Right? Mm. Yeah, that could could take many shapes. I mean, here you just see like kind of grasping, morally bankrupt people, kind of having a motive for murder, and you think, well, of course they would. Well, do you think that actually (laughs) leads to one of the more interesting things about the film, which is that the typical thing you tend to
0: expect out of a done it is you know a cast of five or six or seven characters who all have a motive for murder and one of them did it. Um, and occasionally you get a twist on that, you know. So um, well, I, would, I won't say for fear of spoiling some other stories that maybe twist mm. on that. But here, um, I like the idea you get towards the end that they don't all know that Ed Norton's character, who is the guy that they all depend on for their livelihoods, mm. um, they don't exactly know. Well, they don't know that that he's killed the the sister of the Janelle Monae character, who mm. is also played by Janelle Monae, mm. but the one who dies before we, the film starts. Maybe one or two of them might have their suspicions about various things. But I like the idea that, as it comes to light that Ed Norton has um committed this murder to to protect himself, they are all kind of involved in a cover up of it. So, like I say, it's not that they you know share the murder or anything like that, but. Because they depend, it's not just that, oh, he did it, he goes to prison. They cover it up, and it's because they're craven, and because they depend on him, and because they went, and eventually, of course, she ultimately ends up convincing them, um, through the act of wanton destruction, um, that they can do without him. But, I don't know, I just, I, I thought that was an interesting twist, because the thing that was interesting about, um, the first knives out is that it ends with this, with this inversion, of, you know, the, the, the elite Waspy family ends up losing their home yes, to it. the Hispanic maid. Yes, very you know, appealing. Or Latina maid. Um, and here you've got an interesting, you know, similar kind of commentary going on. Not similar commentary, but a commentary also going on about, um, well, about essentially the things that people will do for money and to save themselves,
1: and that's. I, I think the whole thing is really badly done and badly written because you could have had a similar kind of revenge, appealing, right? Because the whole thing is the Ed Norton character stole, the Janelle Monet stole the whole company mm. away from Janelle Monet. Now, wouldn't it have been great, you know, if the the ending would have meant that the company then reverts back to her sister or something, right? rather than, like, destroying the whole thing, right? So, and then you would have had, like, there a kind of a racial and class revenge, you know, which I think would have been very satisfying to see. But no, it just ends on, like, a a destructiveness, you know, and destruction. I do think it's a sign of what I see as a kind of an American barbarism, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind of... uh, They always talk about respect for property, but they have no respect for property. (laughs) They have no respect for art, Everything is militaristic and explosion. You know, uh, very little is brains or, you know, d- detection proper. Um, and as I said, the only thing that, I, you know, that I really like, and which could be read negatively as well, is, you know, I liked Ethan Hawke's appearance. Well, actually, if you see the way that he, t- he tested everybody with that thing, it is really quite militaristic, right? And, and an obeisance to, to money. Right, because you have all of these people, all very wealthy on their own right, and you know, distinguished, and they get themselves kind of, you know, being injected with something that they have, they have no idea what it is or what mm-hmm. it's for, you know. And 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 actually, if you just think about it; it's a very kind of brutal, aggressive, almost militaristic way of handling a scene like that. I didn't like it.
0: But it also speaks to the fact the characters will accept that without even we even questioning it, because they are are dependent on, you know, it's something that the Ed Norton character desires that they do. They do it. I mean, Mm. it speaks to the characters. I don't mind that. Well... The one, the one who... Um, it doesn't
1: even... If it would speak to the characters, you would have had greater differentiation between them amongst Hollywood. No, Rock there
0: form. should be no differentiation between them because the, they all do it. Well, because they're not they, all they craven,
1: in the same way or for the same reasons. No, but, so, the, but they
0: do it because they're dependent on him and it, this is the condition of going to the island. The, well, one, the one who doesn't do it is Daniel Craig. He's the one who... his still gets injected. Okay, yeah, you know, he, gets, he gets injected, but he doesn't just, yes, I'll go ahead just, and do it. He has uh, a question to ask about it. It's a
1: very... a. It's a very inelegant scene. And B, what I'm arguing is that abstractly, it's kind of proof of what I see as this kind of barbarism. Yeah, that kind of you're you're taking away people's rights, you're brutalizing them, yeah, and kind of there's no resistance to it. Now you're saying, oh, well, there's no resistance because they're all beholden to him. Well, you know.
0: Well, they are. That that has context to me, that makes sense Well,
1: to me me it doesn't make sense Because you're dealing with American culture And ostensibly an individualistic culture There would have been at least, you know Seven different kinds of resistance to somebody I mean, think of all the resistance That there was to the COVID vaccine I mean, my God That people just put up with something like that All in the same way A, it's bad It metaphorically speaks of a barbarism And it's bad filmmaking
0: Okay. I mean, I think it's justified. It tells you about the characters.
1: Well, it doesn't tell you anything new. It doesn't tell you anything you don't know. Well,
0: actually, it's something that ends up kind of making more sense as the film goes on, because by that point, we haven't understood that they are, as you say, beholden to this character. Well, it's something that makes sense So so what's your
1: problem with showing that resistance in different ways that have to do with character and past and tell you something about the characters? You could have made each of those vignettes something more interesting.
0: Oh, I'm not saying they couldn't have been more interesting, but actually, I think the fact that he, you know, this guy who is presenting himself as, as an authority, "I'm here on Ed Norton's behalf," this is what he demands of you, and they just do it. I mean that that makes perfect sense to me. Given well, what we know, given what we come to learn. Um, at two thousand and twenty minutes, we particularly after the film we saw earlier was 72 minutes, and I thought that felt quite long. I'm thinking this is going to be a big one. This is going to, and actually, I thought it flew by. I was really invested. I mean, you're probably going to disagree because you didn't like them. Yes. (laughs) But um, I was, I was into it as I, as I began to understand, um, you know, the shape of the film and the fact it wasn't going to do things the way I expected it to. It was telling a story in a different kind of way, um, and it was giving me less of a puzzle to solve myself. I got into it, basically, and I started to, you know, I was in the film's groove, I was in its rhythm, I understood where it was going and how it was doing it. Basically, I thought the film had a real sense of pace and I wasn't bored at any point. And by the time it finished, I thought, that felt shorter than the other film.
1: <laughs> oh, I did I did not feel that way at all. Um, I mean, to be fair, I didn't look at my watch, which is something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a bit fidgety, so I did find it long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kept kind of kept stretching my legs and... You know, the film wasn't quite holding me. Uh, But I wasn't bored. I mean, there's definitely, you know, quite a lot going on. I really like the diversity of characters. I I do think, though I think maybe this was true of all those Agatha Christie ensembles as well. I was thinking about this that the cast is too old. Mm. Yeah, that part of watching Knives Out was seeing Chris Evans and um, what's the beautiful Dharmas? What's her first name? Oh, uh, Anna, De Armas. Anna De Armas, who I love, you know, um, you know, so seeing like kind of, mm. yeah, a younger cast that's played along with, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was fabulous and, you know, and Chris Plummer and so on. But I did think that this cast was a bit old and the bright light for me was really Janelle Monet, whom I really liked. Yeah, mm. who kind of it took me a while to, to like her in the film, actually yeah you know, yeah well, actually, she starts a- off being frosty.: yeah you know. <laughs> it took me a while to warm up to her, but I did. Uh, so, so and when that second half begins, and
0: you know you go back to uh, Bernard Blanc's apartment and you, it's revealed that there's this twin character, she starts to come alive, back yeah two, that's great. But
1: you know, there's, there's so many things that I didn't like about it. so <laughs> what's the point of the guest? Yeah that, that the, the, the um, stoner guy could just hang out yeah. on the island. Yeah, I mean rage. that's meant to be a joke. I didn't laugh once, no. you know. So I don't get that whole character, right? Then there is the what's his name, Old Oldham, the the assistant, or Leslie Oldham Junior. Yeah, Leslie Oldham Junior. I you know I thought that was like a really badly drawn character. It was a real disservice. I mean, you know, it did feel. What's the point of that character? We needed to find out more. About well, I think he. It needed to feel like he
0: was on the level that the other characters were in terms of in terms of important mm. to um, to the Ed Norton character because the others have status and they're in, and they're they're very kind of individual. So the, the the Kate Hudson character is was a star and he kind of attached himself to her. Um, the Dave Batista character is trying to become a star with his uh, mm. uh, sort of selling shit to men videos. Um, but the, the Leslie O'Donnell Jr. character is... I mean, he was there as part of this gang in the bar, and, he, and he was, you know, um, Ed Norton was the one who's being introduced to them. But by the point the film takes place, he is just working for Ed Norton. He seems to be like the head scientist, but it doesn't seem like he has the same kind of status. Right? Yeah, the, the, the relationship is not the same.
1: I didn't get the point of him. In the film,
0: Um, and he obviously he objects to the use of this fuel. It's not been tested enough. We need we can't rush this to market. And obviously, the Ed Norton character is saying the opposite. But it it doesn't feel as yeah the status just the relationship doesn't feel um, big enough. You know, it needs me to feel more important.
1: He starts as the conscience of the film, you know, but of course that conscience is trampled on immediately. And so I think that character ends up nowhere, leads to nothing. Yeah. It's completely a pointless character. Well, the other thing is, he's definitely. Yeah, well, that the end, that's exactly it. It's a conscience
0: thing, right? Because what I was going to say is, he's definitely someone who can get another job, mm. right? Like, the Dave Batista character feels like it, without Ed um, Norton, he's going nowhere. Yes. And the same with Kate Hudson. But Leslie O'Donn Jr.'s character is apparently like this brilliant scientist. He's, he's heading up this new super fuel thing. And he has a conscience. He's the one who's saying no we shouldn't do this. So he's the one where you're thinking, not only do you have the impetus to say no and leave, but if you did, you would get another good job somewhere. Yes. So actually the fact that he hasn't done that, he feels less less less, you know, beholden to Ed Norton, and yet he is. It's not it's not developed and explained well enough.
1: And also I didn't like the politician, the what's yes, her name your, The Hart. Yeah, because you know this type of character is one we see on television all the time somebody who peddles you know influence for money or votes Mm. it's almost like you know part of the job that american politicians seem to do you know we've seen this in kind of the trump era and you know the allegiances to trump and you know kind of so on so you know it's not a critique because you know it's not it's not um I mean, it's just a, you know, she's just represents someone we see. Mm. She's not given any other characteristics. So, also, you know, I was thinking, well, why don't you get your money from somewhere else? Or why don't you do something? Or why don't you refuse the money? At least show some kind of initial moral dilemma around that issue or something. But no. So, I also felt that that character was pointless. At the very least, underdeveloped, there had to be, there could have been something
0: more there. But I yeah. agree, it was, it, again, it was, there was something just, it was just kind of vague and mm. very simple. Um, I wish that the film had been smarter, which I think you pretty much said at one mm. point. And I'm not talking about the brutality. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's annoying that, um, the Benoit Blanc character, his revelations, um, towards the end come through a realization that Ed Norton, who has been doing all of this, is thick, mm. dumb. And he says, God, it's so dumb that you did this. It's so dumb that this is the answer. And it's not that I think, The answers are dumb. I mean, they make sense, but they're not that clever. But it's that, and I suppose this goes along with the thing about the structure of this film being different to what I expected. It's not a clever, intricate puzzle box. You know, it's not that you're given all the facts, and if, and if you're incredibly smart, you could have figured it out, sort of thing. You are just following the story, you know, following new things as, as they come in. Um, essentially what I'm saying is, when they do the next one, which I'm still interested to see, I would like it to be more of what I expect. I would like it to be the puzzle box where I'm in, I can solve it. Because the idea that even the character in the film is complaining at how dumb it is, there's some truth to that. And it's it's an issue. It it should be smarter.
1: Absolutely, it should be smarter. I mean, it's kind of ironic that a film that bases the whole problem-solving around recognising dumbness... Is not itself a lot smarter about almost every level that the film kind of operates in, yeah,
0: because in a film like this, you are looking at everything, everything is a potential clue, and everything should be significant and One thing that these films do at their best is show you something that is obviously significant and let you have an idea of what it is or what its significance is, and then show you later that you were wrong about that somehow. Mm. You know, like uh, there was something about the blood stain on the shoe in the first one, or on the carpet, something like that. And, and like you thought it was one thing, and then later, or maybe it was that the, um, there was that, there was that spot of blood that you saw on Anadomas's shoe, and you'd seen it, Mm. and you'd assumed something. But then later it was revealed that Benoit Blanc had seen it as well, and he was factoring it into all of his calculations the whole time, and that, yeah, and it was Mm. more complicated than that, that kind of thing, right? Whereas here, Nothing, I don't think, really does that. And there are things like the Mona Lisa where you, you understand that it's going to be significant. There's a lot of focus on it. There's a lot of focus on the, um, the way in which the security system responds to you know, any minor perceived threat. It cut the shutters go up. It constantly goes up when, um, uh, De character's phone pings, which is doing all the time. It's constantly going up in the background. There's a lot of attention paid to it. And there's this thing about the, the kill switch. That, uh, Ed character's put in, which he shows you. If you press this statue, mm. um, it's a secret switch that knocks off the security system. So you're going, right, at some point, the Mona Lisa's involved in this. And actually, of course, it's not involved in the crime at all. It comes at the end of the crime after everything, and it's the thing that finishes the film. And of course, what I'm doing is I'm going, I'm, I'm playing the game. How does the Mona Lisa come into this? How does the phone come into mm-hmm. this? How does the gun come into this? But because of the way the film is written, the way it's structured, you don't get to use
1: all of that information, and some of it isn't even really used. Mm-hmm. But just thinking through the dumbness, like, you know, because <laughs> I, I think that this is also something that's so dispiriting about contemporary American cinema, right? Because, mm. you know, one of the things that I love about 1930s cinema, American cinema, is how smart everyone is, yeah? how bright, you know, how energetic and problem solving, and, you know, uh, and and particularly delightful to see that in in poor people, yeah, in working class people, be so smart uh, and sexy and elegant and all the kinds of all kinds of things. Whereas here, it seems to me that you know, like, did every character have to be so dumb? I mean, you know, they're meant to be like world class citizens and sophisticated people of the world and supermodels who've seen the world and you know. I well, mean, maybe that is the commentary on America that these are the people at the top of the pile and they're dumb as fuck. Well, but I don't even agree with that. I mean, you know, kind of when you see somebody like uh, Kate Hudson or, you know, some some of the other supermodels, you think they're really bright. And they're not only really bright now, you know, but actually they've got all these experiences. They've traveled all the world. They've met all these, like, incredible people. Like, you know, kind of, you don't end up being someone like the Kate Hudson character, like, after 30 years of, you know, kind of exposure to all those kinds of things. I just don't believe that. You know, kind of, could, they couldn't have given her some savoir faire, some sophistication, some smarts. You know, because it doesn't have to be book learning. They could have just yeah, made her smart about other things, right? No. Kanye West? Kim Kardashian? There's I think, a lot of I dumb think, people I think, at the top. I think Kim Kardashian is smart. Yeah. I do. Not in that way. I think she's smart. I mean, you know, kind of... Well, she's made a billion-dollar business, or multi-billion-dollar business... You know, out of like, you know, a stupid reality show. She's not a dummy.
0: No, not in that way.
1: People, you know, have different kinds of intelligence. As I said, it's not just book learning, right? But I thought all of these characters that we were presented with were real dummies. Even the ones who were meant to be like the super scientists.
0: <laughs> I don't, I, don't no, I certainly don't think he's a dummy. He's just not interesting, you know. You
1: know. Well, you're and not it, you're not shown anything he's smart about. He's not smart enough to have figured out that his boss is a dummy, you know. So yeah, he keeps saying, "Oh, you know, many of his ideas are crap," but then there's this brilliant one, you know. So or um, else well, there's Man the one Blanc that no, picks well, it no, up the, immediately. <laughs> what what he says in that in that meeting at the start is
0: all these ideas are crap, but this one made us money. Mm. Not that it's clever. <laughs> Okay,
1: well, you know, kind of nitpicky.
0: Anyway, oh, no, I don't think it's nitpicking. I mean, that goes actually to the core of
1: the character, which is that he's relying on the success that this idiot brings. I don't want to belabor the point. It's just that it's dispiriting to see a film be so stupid, you know, and to only recognise stupidity, to not see a world that's full of intelligence and beauty and art and kindness and love or whatever. Like, it's all just craven... Make it to the top banalities, really, and I found that dispiriting. And it's one of the things that made me really dislike this film.
0: Mm. And the character who, above all, represents and and respects intelligence, the Benoit Blanc character, does do that throughout. Mm. Um, You know, I mean, one thing is that he's complaining that what these characters have been up to is dumb. Mm. You know, he wishes it was smarter himself. I I kind of like. I mean, it is funny. It was a funny scene. I liked it. Um, but of course, even he ends up going. The solution to this is to blow up the place. Up, I know. Um, it's which yeah, and I agree. Which, to, that certainly is dispiriting because I want I want better from that character. Exactly. I mean, you represent-
1: imagine him in his house, and where's it Louisiana or whatever, New Orleans, you know, with Hugh Grant as his boyfriend cooking dinner and valuing books and art and whatever. You know, and here he is. Here's the key to blowing everything up. I mean... It's interesting, actually,
0: the Hugh Grant character. Um, I want to uh, find a comment that uh, Richard, who's a regular listener...
1: Um, I saw that. Saw
0: it the other day, and he... Um, I thought this was interesting, and I didn't know what to expect. I'll quote him here. Um, he said, I wish movies would stop vaguely hinting at gay storylines and thinking they're being brave or diverse. Marvel does it all the time. Benoit Blanc is clearly a gay character, so I wish they would fully acknowledge it rather than just throwing hints that will go over the heads of most audiences. Now I read that comment and I I mean if it's something that had been represented in the first film, either I didn't pick up on it or I forgot it. Um, but it was priming me to look for something very very vague here. and then when you see Hugh Grant open the door in the um, apron that he's wearing. Maybe it shows a, a prejudice that I think a man in an apron, I go, oh right, well then he's gay because he's living, you know, he's. A bit... But I kind of thought I think it's not so much that he's um, been feminized as he's domesticated. They're living together, yeah. And I th- and I thought that it wasn't vague, basically. And and to be fair, I had read Richard's comment, so yeah. I'd been primed to think that Benoit Blanc is gay. But I think I would have. Noticed it, and I don't think I would have thought it was token in the way that we've seen it in those Marvel films.
1: Well, I mean, I think you're both right in the sense that it's very clear, and I think it's clear before that. Mm. It's clear when he says, when he's in the bathroom, and he's saying, I'm not coming out of the bathtub or whatever, and then you hear a male voice speak to him. Sure. Yeah, and you realise they're a couple. I mean, you know, I forget what was said exactly, but it is yeah. like... Are you still in the bathroom? Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a domestic yeah. type of conversation. So, so I think on the one hand, it's very clear but I can also imagine how it's not clear for people who don't want to see it Mm. because there's never a point where they're holding hands, they're kissing, they're touching, they're not in the kitchen together. It's not overt. So so I think, you know, for most people, that will just go right over their heads and they won't mind. And actually, you know, with all the um, killings that we've seen this week of gay people, you know, and all the homophobia uh, that there is around, Kind of, I also find it commercially regrettable, but understandable, you know. That they're not bolder about it. That they're not bolder about it. I mean, I like, you know, I appreciate kind of, you know, what they've done so that, you know, kind of the gay people in the audience and, you know, will recognize it as such. Yeah, it is kind of a a gay character, you know. But on the other hand, it's not, you know, something that is going to lead to a boycott of the franchise by some Hmm. right wing kind of religious group or something. Do you I, think, I don't mind. Do you think
0: it's um, token in the way it is in other
1: No, I also don't think it's token. I think it's very easy. But I mean, it
0: feels like a real characteristic of the character.
1: Yeah, but aside from that, I think any of these representations, is very easy on the outside to say, oh, they're token, right? And yet, kind of, people often have to fight a lot of battles on many, many levels to get those token representations <laughs> in these works. I mean, it's one thing to have something in an indie film that you make for $50,000, and it's quite another thing, you know, to have it in something with a much broader reach or a much heavier investment. So, you know, I judge those things contextually, really, rather than, mm. you know... And I appreciated kind of what was shown and how it was shown here mm. in the, on that issue. So, overall, I'd say... I
0: really enjoyed the film when I was sat in the cinema watching it and in conversation, you know, the, the flaws that I felt and the flaws that I anticipated you feeling have grown and, you know, become more important than they previously were. I'm still interested to see the next one. I still think there's a sense of pace and style and interest that I like. I would like the next one to be more of a puzzle box. It's mm-hmm. what I'm expecting from it and that's you know what I didn't quite get from this. Um but yeah, it's it's you know it has grown into more of a disappointment than I was experiencing at the time. As in, you know in I, merely I, half an hour. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was really looking forward to it and uh, I really in, enjoyed the first one. Uh but I kind of um well, you know, yeah. you now know what I thought. So yeah. You might not agree, but <laughs> yeah, I haven't held back. <laughs> uh, you
0: know, the Mona Lisa is going to get destroyed one day. Just yeah. a
1: question of how. Well, we'll have to live with that. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> found it shocking. But anyway, thank you all very much for listening. We're eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and YouTube. On social media,
0: we're on Facebook and Twitter at Eavesdrop Movies. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.